Welcome to another New Age Alpha podcast. I am Andy Kern, and I'm joined by Julian Kosky. The topic of our discussion today is probability, when to use it, when not to use it, and what it means. Julian, great to have you here. Great to be here, Andy. Looking forward to the discussion. I am too. You know, I, I think, Julian, this is the perfect time to talk about probabilities and investing because there has been a dramatic decline in the performance of active managers in recent years. And really, the question is why? Well, this really goes back to the passage of regulation fair disclosure and the information advantage that many active managers used to enjoy and how it's been arbitraged away. And what this means is that in the absence of an information advantage, probabilities is the best way to approach investing. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Absolutely. I think that the, the biggest change we've seen is the, the uh, arbitrage uh, of the information advantage. Clearly, active managers just don't have that advantage anymore. And unfortunately, they rely a lot on speculation. You know, when you think about the stock market, you really have to think about it in terms of um, a luck versus skill uh, paradigm. In other words, the question I'd have for people is, do you think that stock market outcomes are a result of luck? Or skill. And, and I would suggest to everybody that it's very much about luck. And when you're dealing with luck, probability is probably the best way of um, mitigating that type of risk. The, re the reason I say it's, it's luck is because in order for it to have been skill, you would have been, have to have been able to deliberately lose at something. So I'll give you an example. Roger Federer can deliberately lose at playing tennis, which means he can control the outcome, right? He, 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 the outcomes are in his control. Now, when it comes to the stock market, you can be long a stock and the stock will go down, might go down. You can be short a stock and the stock might go up. You see, you can't control the outcomes. The outcomes are random. When you're dealing with randomness and unfortunately dealing with a uh, lack of an information advantage, then the best thing to use is actually probabilities. So, you know, from my perspective, that's, uh, th that's why I, I agree with you, Andy. Yeah, I, I like what you're saying because I, it seems like probabilities are everywhere. Um, you know, it's almost Super Bowl season. And just recently I heard that the, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, who recently won over the Buffalo Bills, I heard that they had a 43% chance of winning the Super Bowl. That's the probability, 43%. But my question would be, what does this mean? Uh, for one thing, there's there are four teams left in the NFL playoffs. So if each team had the same probability of winning, the Chiefs' probability would only be one-fourth or 25%. So why then are some claiming that the probability is 43%? And where does that 43% come from? It's, it's really an interesting question. So the term probabilities very commonly used and, and very often misused term, right? People really don't understand the math behind it, but yet they use it. It's, it's almost like a common expression today. The probability is that, the probability is this. I often hear people talking about probabilities, but I'm pretty sure they haven't done that math. They use the word, it's overused, and it's not consistent with the math that a st statistician would expect when using that kind of language. And it's really a big problem. They might understand the meaning of the word intuitively, but they haven't done the hard work to come up with the number in a scientific way. 
What I found is that people are often very careless with the term and they throw it around in an effort to appear smart about a particular issue. But there's very little to support it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's, it's, uh, it's a word that a lot of people take for granted and that they don't really get down to putting thought into, into the meaning behind. And a lot of times it's related to, to odds, you know, which is distinct from probability, but related to probability. Let's talk about gambling odds, for example. So sometimes gambling odds um, are the direct result of how gamblers place bets. So, for example, in horse racing, that's how the odds are determined. Horse racing is sort of the free market of gambling, if you will. Um, the more gamblers bet on one horse, the lower the payout should the horse win. And therefore, I think that is a more intuitive sort of interpretation than other types of probabilities. Uh, other types of probabilities would be, you know, I mentioned that the Kansas City Chiefs had a 43% chance of winning the Super Bowl. A bookmaker in NFL games, including the Super Bowl, by the way, will use a whole lot of different inputs and will attempt to set odds that um, that attract just as many bets on one side as the other, and then the the bookmaker will um, will take a, sp a spread on those bets. But the bets should balance each other out. Um, ultimately, I think the process is really quite subjective, though, because there's there's just a tremendous amount of human input and thus human behavior involved. And for all those quantitative inputs that the bookmaker might consider you know, the math and statistics that get used, it's usually very unclear how exactly the bookmakers arrive at the odds that they do and thus arrive at the probability. So it's sort of a black box. Um, but many people and even gamblers are putting their own money at risk because they take these probabilities at face value because they don't truly understand where they're coming from. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, you know, you can see that probability is often used in a very glib and flippant way. Uh, it's usually used to support what we call heuristics, right? What do, what do we mean by that? Well, suppose for irrational reasons, I think that the Kansas City Chiefs will win the Super Bowl. This may not be an unusual statement. Maybe I feel this way because I've been a fan since I was a kid. I've watched every game all, uh, you know, every season, and I just have a hunch that they're going to win. We might call this a commitment bias or escalation of commitment bias. See, that's a heuristic. Now, deep down, I might not really believe they will win, but I want them to win. And so when I hear they have a good probability of winning, I pay extra heed to that information. This is when casinos win. That's when bookmakers win. That's when any kind of odds maker will always win because they don't rely on these human heuristics like the typical gambler. They use the math, period, end of story. Excellent point. Excellent point. But probabilities, they don't have to be mysterious. So maybe what we should do is we should take a step back and talk about more straightforward probabilities. And that might help us understand the more complex probabilities. You know, as a, a common way to think about probabilities is by you know, in, in uh, your statistics courses, you'll, you'll hear about uh, things as simple as flipping a coin or rolling a die. So let's, let's, let's go with the rolling a die example. The probability of rolling a die and getting a five or, or any side of the die, you know, is, is one sixth because there are six possible outcomes. And we are interested in only one 
and each side is equally likely. So therefore, the probability is, is one six. But notice I said equally likely. How do we know this for sure? Well, maybe we pick up the die and we roll it a few times, maybe only 10. Obviously, it won't land on each side one sixth of the time. But if we roll it 100 times, we'll get closer to one sixth for each side. And eventually, we will roll the die enough times that the proportion that land on each side will be nearly the same and equal to one sixth of the total number of rolls. So in statistics, we call each roll a trial. After a sufficient number of trials, the proportion that land on each side approaches one sixth, what we would expect. Now, of course, not only is this self-evident and obvious, it really doesn't have much practical application outside of craps and monopoly maybe. So let's talk about a more real world use of the word probability. So have you ever heard, Julian, that there's a 70% chance of rain and wondered, what does that really mean? You know, it sounds like it ought to mean that it's going to rain today. It's 70%. But of course, it's not 100%. So maybe that's not completely true. Maybe it's not going to rain. We can only observe today once. We can't roll the die thousands of times, so to speak. So unlike rolling a die when we only get to observe one trial rather than thousands, it means that judging the quality of the probability, how reliable it is, is, is just tremendously trickier. If the day ends and it hasn't rained, was that 70% probability wrong? You know, it, it turns out, and this was fascinating to me when I learned about this, when, when weather, forecast throw, weather forecasters, they throw around these numbers, um, what they're actually referencing is a formula, which in my opinion is just entirely haphazard. So it's calculated, it's, it's known as something called the probability of precipitation, and it's calculated as follows. Um, first, the weather forecaster determines the portion of the area that the rain is expected, and second, multiplies this forecaster this forecast by the forecaster's own confidence that it will rain in that area. So, for example, if the forecaster uh, was 80% certain that it would rain over a certain area, but only expected to cover 50% of the forecast area, then the forecast would read a 40% chance of rain for any given location. So, if the forecaster expected a widespread area of precipitation, you know, with 100% coverage, but was only 40% certain that it would happen, well, that would be a 40% chance of rain as well. So really, it's, it's just all made up. It's sure the forecaster will use data, but really leaves a huge amount of that probability up to his own subjectivity. I mean, how do you measure confidence? When, what does it mean to be 50% confident? You know, can anyone really answer that question? So, you know, you know, Andy, great example. I, I love the weather example because it goes to show that you can't mix probabilities and a human behavior or a human belief system or another way of saying it, a human's ability to forecast something. It, it's no longer a probability at that point. It, it's more likely to be more closely associated with some kind of behavior or heuristic. So, Probabilities are best used when they're used in their pure form. And unfortunately, the pure form um, can only be done when you use the math. 
combination with how somebody subjectively feels about where rain is going to fall or how much rain is going to fall, you've lost the power of the probability at that point in time. There's no debate about probability. You either accept the math or you don't. It's, it's not something that should be questioned. And I think that's where people make the greatest mistake with probabilities. They often mix it with their own uh, behaviors, right? Their, their ability to forecast something or their ability in some respects to cast an opinion or something. And, and again, so much of that is driven by behavioral heuristics. Right. And, and in statistics, you know, as opposed to the National Weather Service or some other uh, you know, authority that has um, the a formula for the calculation of probability. I I think a statistician would approach it in a more straightforward manner. So the statistician would say, well, there's a 40% chance of rain tomorrow. And this means that on average, with the same meteorological conditions, you know, it will average uh, rain on 40% of the days. But of course, we cannot uh, replicate today more than once. So even though we can't do that, theoretically speaking, the same weather conditions can. And if we were to replicate them, it would rain on 40% of those days. In other words, we have taken a one-day event and made it as repeatable as rolling a die. And this is where I think a lot of people, and by people I mean the general public, start to stop understanding what probability really means. They think they know. For example, they know 100 means 100% means something absolutely will happen, guaranteed, and 0% means it absolutely will not. But what about everything in between, which is really the only time that we even care about probability? You know, the probability that some football team will win the Super Bowl is 100%. But the probability that a baseball team will win the Super Bowl is 0%. You know, it's that type of thing. It assumes, you know, that, um, that what we can assign absolute probabilities to something. You know, I'll tell you one thing, Andy, you can't discount the entertainment value of probabilities. You see it, you know, all the time. It's great around a dinner table or the TV set while you're with your buddies drinking beer, throwing these numbers around and trying to guess whether something will happen or won't happen. But there's a huge difference if you want to make money. It's okay to have fun. You know, I'm not saying you shouldn't. But when it comes to making money, you have to be a dedicated tactician. You have to apply the probability scientifically. And by that, I mean in a consistent manner that is repeatable and has some sort of scientific or theoretical foundation. Now, when you invest on Wall Street, you don't know the probability or how much. So you don't want a system that gives you some idea of what the probability is. Or really, why do we not use probabilities more often in investing? You know, insurance uses them. Credit rating agencies use them. Why not portfolio managers? Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you, again, you, how many times on TV you watch some kind of Wall Street, uh, talking head throwing around the use of probability. I'm pretty sure they haven't done the math. Again, it's that general feeling they get and they're trying to interpret it and talk to the public uh, in a more convincing way by using the term, uh, probability, right? So. There's a huge difference between probabilities for gambling purpose and using them to make an educated financial decision. When using them to construct a portfolio of stocks, if you want to use it for that, it's important to take advantage of the law of large numbers. The law of large numbers tells us that even if we perform an experiment or observe a repeated um, event a sufficient number of times, on average, the result will be what we expect, right? So, 
that's what drives really the efficacy of probabilities. Probabilities are not very useful when used on a single event, like who will win the Super Bowl. That is only one event. You can still gamble on that event, but you're not using probabilities in their pure form. Now, to do that, you need to be able to pool many events together. And really, this makes them perfectly suited for a stock portfolio because we can pool many stocks together and take advantage of the power of a probability. For example, imagine constructing a portfolio of only two stocks. Even if both have a low probability of failure, this is still gambling uh, because even if there's only a 5% probability, the company can and will fail. It can still happen. To truly invest, one must pull many low probability events together. You have to be uh, you know, really ready to use probability correctly. Insurance underwriters don't calculate the probability and then go looking for some other piece of information to corroborate it. They rely on the probability because they've done the work. You need to accept that things might not work out in your favor. And this is really a fundamental premise of probability. When we say there's a 1% chance that, say, for instance, stock might fail to do something, the company still might fail. Even though it's a very low probability of failure, you still have to accept that failure is still probable. If you use pro uh, probabilities in, a, a, a say, more of a portfolio approach, like an insurance company does, the probabilities will be much more reliable over the long term. It is more reliable in large numbers than using some kind of forecast or instinct to try and guess the outcome. So when we use probabilities here to pick individual stocks, we don't have great confidence in the individual pick. What we have great confidence in is in the portfolio approach, the law of large numbers. We know when we build a portfolio of low probability stocks, a lot of the uh, uh, power of the probability comes to bear. So if you've got 50 stocks all with a low probability of failure, well, now you've got a risk-managed system that basically is, is, is benefiting from the large, large numbers, and that's when probability really works. Correct. Uh, the, the law of large numbers is, is the key. It's the key in a lot of areas of statistics, as a matter of fact. But, but let's talk about specific solutions to sort of classic portfolio management problems. At New Age Alpha, we calculate the human factor. Now, this is the probability the company will fail to deliver the growth implied by the stock price. So, so it's a two-step process. We calculate the growth implied by the stock price and then calculate the probability this growth rate will not be achieved using the company's past growth rates. So one might ask, why do we do it in this way? Well, there's, there's a great reason to suspect that above all else, a company's history of growth is the best indicator of its future growth. So if we want to calculate the probability the company will not grow by the rate that the stock price implies, that's the way to do it. But think about that calculation for a moment. There are two things driving the probability, the, the distribution of past growth and the stock price itself. If you have a stock that sells for, let's say, $10 per share, and based on the company's past growth rates, there's only a 10% chance that it will fail to deliver, um, that's a good thing. But, but then suppose the stock jumps to $100 a share, and suddenly the new price implies a much higher rate of growth. And then based on the company's distribution of past growth, that probability will, that the company will fail to deliver is now much, much higher. That's the kind of analysis, I think, 
that uh, lends itself very well to portfolio construction and putting putting together, as you said, a group of stocks that we can be confident will perform well rather than just selecting an individual stock. Yeah, I think one one thing I want to do is just step back and give the audience a, a clearer picture on what we talk about, about this human factor, right? So, uh, you know, to us, uh, a very basic due diligence question one should ask before investing in a stock is, and this is what we believe in is, can the company deliver the growth implied by its stock price, right? Do you really want to invest in a stock that's got a particular beta or volatility? Uh, is it a growth stock or a value stock? I think these are the wrong questions to ask of a stock. The, the question you want to ask is, as I said, can the company deliver the growth implied in its stock price, right? Now, to answer that question, using using probability to describe that event uh, is really important. Does the company have a low probability of failure or does it have a high probability of failure? And very simply, you want to own the companies that have a low probability of failing to deliver the growth implied in their stock price. You know, let's just look at Tesla for a moment because it's a really interesting case study. If you look back to July 2019, when Tesla was trading around $253 a share, if you took the stock price with the financial statements at that time, what you could have calculated then is the implied revenue growth for Tesla that was needed to support that $250 price. From that, you would have seen that Tesla needed to generate $6.1 billion in revenue to support that price. This further implied that Tesla had to sell around 95,000 new cars per quarter, which equated to a quarterly growth rate of around 39%. Now, that's one thing to know what the implied growth rate is, right? Which we can do. It's not hard math to do that. What you want to know is, Back then, what was the probability that Tesla was going to fail to deliver this growth rate? And this is really the most important uh, step. To do this, we look back to see how many times in the past 12 quarters, we used 12 quarters, Tesla actually delivered this revenue growth. Now, what you see is that during that time, Tesla's average growth rate was around 49%, and they failed to generate their implied growth rate of 39%, only 20% of the time in the past 12 quarters. So in other words, they were delivering the growth almost 80% of the time in the past 12 quarters. But let's put some context around this. Let's look back in time. At this um, time in 2019, we had a look and there were 169 newspaper headlines about Tesla out there. And of those headlines, 129 of them were negative headlines. You had Wall Street uh, investors like David Einhorn, Jim Chaney shouting, you know, bankruptcy, fraud, the stock is going to go to zero. So what Tesla missed is Tesla really was using this vague and ambiguous information being put out by the newspapers and about some of these investors. That vague and ambiguous information was pricing itself into Tesla stock, and that led to the underpricing of, of Tesla stock, right? They weren't doing the math. Had you done the math and calculated the probability of success, what you were looking at is that Tesla was delivering the growth implied by its stock price almost 80% of the time. The the failure rate was only around 20. It's the inverse, right? So again, probability is really good. Now, did we say you should buy Tesla based on that? No. What we said is you need to build a portfolio of stocks, calculate all the probabilities, and assemble a portfolio of the stocks with the lowest probability of failure. Right, because we can't just rely on a company's 
on, on one company's human factor, you know, the, because even if the company had only a 20% chance of failing to deliver it, it still, as you said, um, could fail. So instead, we just pool all these probabilities together. And that's really how, how insurance works. It's how um, credit portfolios work. You know, it's, 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 it's easy in a stock portfolio to simply select the stocks with the most attractive probability. I'm not sure why more people don't take this approach. But, you know, instead of buying, I think the point is, instead of just buying Tesla, which could fail to deliver, despite its uh, relatively high probability of delivering, you know, we'll, we'll buy many stocks with low probabilities of failing. And that way we get the benefit of the law of large numbers. And this is why, uh, you know, a portfolio should consist of many stocks and why our portfolios do. It's not diversification per se. It's just exposure to the law of large numbers. You know, Andy, we have one of the best sayings we use in, in talking about a product is manage risk like an actuary, not like a portfolio manager. And we really mean that, right? It's not about trying to forecast the future. You know, the future is inherently unknowable. The more you forecast this unknown future, the more actually you're just increasing the odds you're going to be wrong and you're going to invest in a loser, right? And so when we talk about this, our reliance on traditional portfolio management ideas to build portfolios really is, is, is at a minimum, really. Instead, we rely, as you know, on more of an actuarial based approach, right? Because we don't know the future. Uh, we don't have an information advantage. So, so how do you do it, right? It, it's all about using the probability. The key to using probabilities is, is when using probabilities, you can use a probability to much easier identify a loser. So which is a stock that's going to be a loser? Much harder to identify a winner because you need to forecast the future, but that is inherently dangerous and, and that's the problem. But, if you want to remove losers, and think about it, insurance companies, it's all about removing the losers from a portfolio, right? Andy, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to end this podcast. I'm going to ask you a question. I, will you be wagering uh, on the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl? <laughs> uh, as much as I would be tempted to, I, I, I just think the 43% probability is just not attractive enough to me. It's worse than a coin flip. So, yeah. And besides that, I don't know where it came from. And I would be betting on a single event. I don't get the benefit of the law of large numbers. And that's always risky. Yeah. And by the way, there's a good thing to add. You, you mentioned that it's only 43%. You know, people often ask, well, what happens when the probability of a stock is, say, 50-50? Well, you know, what's the decision? It can equally win as it can equally lose, right? Or fail. Um, so the question is to ignore those stocks, really. It's about investing in the stocks that have got very low probabilities. Uh, being long those stocks and shorting the stocks that have got a very high probability of failure. In the middle is unknown, right? It can go either way. Um, again, as uh, you know, wrapping up, probability is best used in its pure form. And, you know, I, I really urge our listeners to rely on the math. And the next time you hear somebody using probability, just ask yourself the next question. Have they really done the math to come up that, with that? Or are they just simply relying on their instincts? Is it another just heuristic and they translating that heuristic to sound more intellectual by referring to it as a probability? You bet. No pun intended. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for talking with me today, Julian. Yeah, my pleasure. I love doing this. And thank you all for listening to our New Age Alpha podcast. We hope to see you next time. 